Good morning. Really glad you're here this morning. I'm, I'm glad to be here. I'm Randy Lanthrop. I'm the senior pastor of Church in the Valley. I'm usually at the Dime Bar campus. I think I, I, we try to show up about once every five or six weeks as it works out over the course of time, but I'm really happy to be here. We're in the fourth week of our series that we've called Hometowns, and we're, we're looking at, in this series, the church as a hometown community that God's designed to fulfill His purpose, to provide a place for us to belong, to connect. Uh, people have a built-in desire to belong to a community where everybody knows everybody, where you're accepted for who you are where people work together for good, where we're encouraged in raising our kids. That, that desire gets muffled sometimes, but we looked first week of this series at how God in himself is a relational God and lives in community. And so he made people in his image to live the same way. And so the church is designed to meet these needs and more. So week, week by week, we've been looking at God's goals for the church community, his design for it, and then what, what are the implications for us? What does that mean for our role? This week, we're looking at the role of heroes and leaders in a community. Uh, they, they have a ma- major mindset uh, impact on the mindset of, of the people of the community. Our, our heroes and leaders set priorities and reveal possibilities. They uncover the possibilities to us. Our, our hometown, where you grew up, has a major impact on what you think is important. And it may set limits on aspirations or allow you to soar in your mind is what the possibilities are. I've taken many road trips through different parts of the country. I like road trips. Do you like road trips? I don't know. Some people cannot stand getting in a car and driving and just looking at the road for hours and hours. I like that. I really enjoy it because I I like checking out the sites. You have a captive audience if your kids are young and you, you can just talk and get to know them and a lot, of, a lot of good stuff for me has happened on road trips. I really enjoy them, and, and I just like being out there. And So anyway, I've taken a lot of road trips. Um, we've gone to Oklahoma back and forth for eight years while our kids were in college at the University of Oklahoma. Uh, we've gone on a couple of other trips from the Washington, D.C. area up to Ohio through New York, all kinds of things visiting friends and family and going to a World Series that my son was in. We've also taken a road trip through parts of Mississippi, uh, from Gulfport, Mississippi, to New Orleans, Louisiana. So we've driven around, and something you see on the highway are, are signs. And every town and city of different sizes, they have they have their own little flair on how they do their welcome sign. But often, what you'll see on these signs are the names of people, famous people who grew up there. 
this is where they're from. This is their hometown. And you see all kinds of people who accomplish what the town considers important in different ways. Often you see entertainers on a sign, uh, a city welcome sign. Here's one for Blake Shelton. Uh, Ada, Oklahoma. Welcome. This is the home of Blake Shelton. And, uh, you know, the country singer. He's also the judge on The Voice. So there's Blake's hometown. There's a water tower honoring another country singer in Belton, Texas, Tate Stevens. I don't know if you've heard of him. If you're not into country, you certainly haven't. Um, This is a water tower town. Some towns have water towers, and often they'll have the most famous person they can come up with from the city that it's in. Um, Kids who grow up in these cities... They begin to think that being a famous entertainer is one way to be a really important person. So it begins, it begins to shape the way they think about life. Here's a sign recognizing President Lyndon B. Johnson's hometown, Johnson City, Texas. I don't know which came first, LBJ or Johnson City. But this is it, hometown of Lyndon B. Johnson. And a kid who grows up in this town is thinking, hey, Maybe I could be president someday. They, they can see possibilities. LBJ was from here. I'm from here. Maybe, maybe it could happen for me. There's some athletes on this sign. Kay Yao, I don't know who these folks are. And Tori Holt, uh, she was the coach of the gold medal uh, team for women's basketball in 1988. And Terry Holt was an, a football player of the year in the ACC. I, I don't know who they are, but... I guarantee the people in this town, the kids who grew up here, they know about them. They know what they've accomplished. Here's a highway sign that honors a military hero, Lieutenant Colonel Clark Highway. Check out this sign. So it's a little fuzzy, this next one from Rennie. Small town, welcome to Rennie, home of something or somebody famous, someday, maybe. <laughs> now, if, if you grew up in Rennie, you're just not quite sure... <laughs> What your future looks like. That's a little unsettling. That's really unsettling. But the way it works in a community of people, the signs that are held up to honor heroes and who they are begin to shape what's important in the minds of the people in that community. This same is true of the church. The people we hold up as heroes and leaders and what we say about them shapes what's important in a powerful way. There's a lot of pull to this. There's a lot of power. So the leaders of any community or organization, they set priorities and and they help people see the possibilities of what could happen, what could be. So the Bible has very clear directions for leaders and followers and careful instruction in selecting church leaders and gives a very high standard. There's a very high level of character that that is required as you rise in leadership in the church body. So we're going to take, you know, hometowns have mayors, city councils, leaders of different kinds. And the church is designed to have a specific kind of leader. 
And, and Lord knows, we're leaders in the church body are not perfect, but this is what we're shooting for. And so we're going to look at what the Bible says about leaders and followers today. Fact is, our leaders shape the values of the church community. You see this. Paul went throughout the Roman Empire starting churches, and he would start a church, and then he would move on to the next. But before he moved on to the next, he would make sure that leaders were in place of a certain kind. In each con- congregation, he would put a structure in place to bring order to it. It wasn't an elaborate structure, but there was definite form, leadership, and an organization to it. He also instructed his protégés and his colleagues to do the same. You see this in Titus 1.5 where it says, This is why I left you in Crete so that you, you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So what happened is, he's on the island of Crete. Some people had decided to follow Christ. And, and he left Titus there to bring order, to put what remained, the folks who were left there who had decided to follow Christ, to give some structure to what it was they were to do and how they were to relate to one another. Now, immediately after this comment, and we're not going to have time to look at it this morning, uh, Paul lists qualifications for the leaders of a church body. Now, most of the qualifications, 90 plus percent, relate to character, specifically Christ-like character. So, these are the qualities that God wants in the leaders of the church. This is because leaders of the church set priorities and they uncover possibilities for the people in the church community. So this is a very, very important thing to understand. Church leaders need to have a high level of maturity because of the role that we play in, in the body of Christ. Check out what it says in Hebrews 13:7. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. The church is filled with people who are at different places in their walk with God. Um, Some are just starting out like babies. Others are in their teens spiritually. Some are older. They're more mature. God wants the the church to be a place where everyone belongs and is accepted, yet everyone is changing and growing to become more like Christ. To change, you and I must have the freedom to not change. (laughs) That's the way it works. I mean, if I'm really going to adopt a value, if I'm going to shift my values from what I've normally thought was important to what God thinks is important, I I have to have the freedom not to change and adopt that value. I have a brother-in-law who's... um, Poodle, Theo, was a little rebellious when he was younger. He's a little puppy, and this dog was a pain. And so to try to train the dog, he put a shock collar on him. 
And I'm not going to give you his name so you, you don't have to turn him in, my brother-in-law. <laughs> but he put a shock collar on the dog. And the dog was incredibly obedient as long as the shock collar was on. The moment you took the shock collar off, pff, went crazy again. This, this is how it is with people. We, it, as long as there's some kind of external pressure, you never know whether or not you're going to hold to that value when it's removed. So the church is set up to create a draw, a pull in the right direction. And the leaders are crucial to that, to creating that situation. Leaders of the church then set an example and show the possibilities of the kind of changes that God can make in our lives as we decide to make Jesus the boss of our lives. There are ordinary people who call us forward and reveal it's possible to become more and more like Christ. Not perfect people. But there, the, we, we need to have leaders who draw us forward toward the right kinds of things. The leaders of the church community, they don't try to manipulate or force people to change. But they aim to pull them along by example toward God's kingdom values, what's important to him. Real growth happens because people want it. That, that's how it happens. If you're really going to change and grow and become more like Christ, that happens because you want to change. It makes sense to you to do that. And if, if we have leaders and if the church is structured and organized in the way God wants it to be by his design, the church becomes like a river that pulls you toward the right things. There's this current that's pulling you in the right direction and you, you are motivated to give your life to the things that are important to God. Now, here's a list of commands. I want to spend some time in 1 Peter 5. Here's a list of commands to church leaders. We're going to look at the commands to leaders and then we're going to look at the commands to followers. But here's what Peter says to leaders. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears you will receive the unfading crown of glory. This passage is written to the highest level leaders in the church. And it paints a picture both of what they're supposed to do and how they're supposed to do it. <clears throat> it's important guidance for us. He lays out a church leader's assignment, attitude, and approach. First, the leader's assignment, exercise oversight. Church leaders are expected to look at all that's going on in church life, to think it over, to pray it over, to take responsibility, to lead and organize the group, to accomplish God's purpose for the group. And the way the world is today, every group tends to veer off. It tends to unravel, tends to fall apart. And families are like this. Work groups are like this. Groups of people, because of the way it is today, just veer the wrong direction. They start to scatter. A leader 
is put in place to keep everybody coming back together. Parents, fathers, mothers, uh, bosses. A, a, a good leader pays attention to what's going on in the group they're responsible for, <clears throat> and the aim is to bring it back on course to accomplish what it's there for, its purpose, its mission. They exercise oversight. They're, they're trying to see things from, from 30,000 feet or whatever it is, and, and they're trying to bring people back on course. So that's, that's what a leader in church is supposed to do. Passage also shows us the leader's attitude, willing and eager. Notice it says, not under compulsion, but willingly. This means a leader gladly bears the responsibility of leadership without blaming or resenting those under you when it gets difficult. Communication is not easy. It's, it's easily misunderstood what you're trying to convey and what you're trying to say. It takes, it takes work to keep everybody in any group. On the same page, true of families, work groups, here in church life. You, you end up saying things repeatedly to keep everyone up to speed. Uh, this, this can sometimes be frustrating. How many times do I have to say this? You know, if you're a parent of a toddler, how many times do I have to repeat this to them? Or how many times I've said this before? But you know what? If you're responsible for a group, nobody is thinking about that group as much as you are. If you're responsible for the family, kids, they're not thinking about what you're thinking about and what the direction the family needs to go. Same at work and here in church as well. Nobody thinks about Church in the Valley as much as I do. At least I hope that's the case. <laughs> you know, and so that's my job. If I'm, if I'm willing... Not doing my job under a sense of compulsion. Oh, I, I'm obligated. I just got to do this. But if I'm willing and my heart's in it, I'm patient. That's how it is with leaders. I, I'm willing to do whatever it takes. Peter also tells us leaders must lead not for shameful gain, but eagerly. If a leader has a selfish heart, they can fake it for a while. But under pressure the truth is going to come out. Who they really are, what they're really about, why they're really doing what they're doing is going to come to the surface. It's like painting a rusty fence post. You know, the heat of the sun, the heat of the pressure is going to start peeling the paint away and you're going to see the rust underneath. So you have to deal with the rust as you're, as you're going along. This is the way to, if a leader doesn't keep their heart in check and realize what a privilege it is to serve God in bearing the responsibility he's given, they can buckle under pressure. The paint starts peeling, the rust shows up, and it's very easy to get overwhelmed by pressure as you lead in church life. If you're a team leader or a group leader, I know I've, I've watched the faces of many, many people when I've asked them to lead in church life. And there's, the, there's a sense of, oh, oh boy, that's a lot of responsibility. <laughs> and I'm not, I'm not doing it. I'm doing it for the church. <laughs> that's a little scary, you know, for God. And, of course, whatever we do should be for God. But 
there's this, it's very easy to get twisted up. One reason is because we have an enemy that comes against us as we set out to lead in church life. But it's easy to get overwhelmed. If you're leading in the church, you also can't change anyone. So you have an assignment to be involved in helping people come to know Christ, come to grow, uh, grow up in Him, become more like Him, and you, you really can't pull that off. So since only God can do that, you're in this position where you really have to trust Him. You have to trust Him to do what only He can do. So a leader in church life must do what they know to do and trust God to do what only he can do. That, that's, that's a very different thing than normal leadership in, in other situations. And so Peter says, remember the chief shepherd because he is going to reward wholehearted service. Jesus himself is the chief shepherd. We're, we're under him. The passage also shows the leader's approach. Not domineering, but examples to the flock. It says, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Leaders in the church don't use people. They don't ask their followers to make a sacrifice they're not willing to make. They always go first in sacrifice. They set the example, and this is how it should be with any leader. But especially, this is the call on church leaders. If you lead with these attitudes and uh, uh, approach in any arena that we've been describing, willing and eager, not under compulsion, not domineering, you, you can pull people in the right direction as you're leading in, such, in, in any context, any circumstance, any arena, you, you don't have to push them. And that's why God has designed it this way. It's like a wet spaghetti noodle. I don't know if you've ever done this, but if, have you ever tried to push a wet spaghetti noodle along the counter? Very difficult. It's going to stick. It's going to roll. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be a problem. I can tell you you're looking at me like, that's a really interesting example. <laughs> But you can pull the wet spaghetti noodle. That's how people are. You can't push people. God knows this. He made us. He knows how we're wired. He knows the way we're put together. And so he set up church life to, to be something where people want to do life his way. Because of the examples and the leadership and the heroes that they have around them. If you lead... As a parent with these attitudes and approach, you can pull your kids along. If you lead at work this way, people under your leadership will, will want to move forward. Maybe not sometimes, but this, this gives the best opportunity for people to, to move in the right direction. In any group, there are leaders and followers. And it takes both leaders and followers working together for the common good to make the right kind of progress. In life, So the Bible shows us that godly cooperation propels the church toward its mission. Verses I read early in 1 Peter give some helpful insight into how a leader should lead. Following these verses, Peter shifts gears to instruct and encourage those under leadership. 
Here's what First Peter says about being a follower. Likewise, you, are, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. And the word be subject means uh, specifically just to put yourself under their leadership. And, and it relates to the realm of the church. Church leaders aren't the boss of anyone in their family life or in their work life, but it's, it's talking about the realm of church life. And so you find a church with good leaders and you put yourself under them and you let, you let them lead and you try to help as they move along. The younger here can mean those who are of younger age, but it's referring to those who are younger in the faith. So the idea is that the less spiritually mature should follow and learn from those who are more spiritually mature. Hebrews 13, 7, 17 reinforces the need to follow well. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. They're exercising oversight over the church life and really showing concern for you as those who will have to give an account. And this is the reason why we follow leaders because God is going to talk to them about what's going wrong in church life. He, he, what he does is he puts an authority over a realm, like a parent over a family, a boss over a workplace, and a church leader over a church, and he holds them accountable for what's going on in that arena. What that means is that leader can't blame or resent anyone else for what's going on. And that it means that he's got to figure out how to lead in the right direction. All the pressures on him are, are a lot of it. And so um, they're going to have to give an account. Let them do this with joy, not groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. The word submit here has the same root word as the word subject in the first Peter passage and the grammar in the New Testament is consistent the way it writes things whenever there's a command to submit it's always in the middle passive voice which means that you choose to submit yourself the leader doesn't command you to submit you choose it yourself whenever this word is used in scripture in any arena in family life, in the work situation. It's always in the middle passive. The follower chooses to submit in order to help that grouping, that arena, help that leader accomplish the purpose that God is going to hold him accountable for. Leader never commands someone to submit the fuel that moves the church forward then is goodwill it's created by leaders who love their people and sacrifice and followers who follow voluntarily this this is where the goodwill comes from and the more cooperation like this the more the church propels toward its mission like a jet it just gets moving this is god's design this is what god wants Whenever you find yourself under authority, you're in a very vulnerable spot. And to generate godly cooperation, to choose to voluntarily submit to the leaders over you, 
you have to decide two things. That you're going to choose humility and you're going to keep trusting God. Because that leader isn't going to do everything the way that you would. They're not going to come up with ideas and choose plans that, that you would come up with. Let's look back at 1 Peter 5 uh, through 7, the last half of 5. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him, because He cares for you. Both, both leaders and followers must choose humility. And the passage tells us to put humility on like a shirt or a blouse that we put on in the morning. We decide what we wear in the morning. You know, am I going to wear a green shirt, blue shirt, red shirt? And we can decide whether or not we're going to choose humility, which means to defer to others. And show them the respect that they deserve as people who have been created in the image of God. It's worrisome to be under authority. There are times when you're just not quite sure if a leader is paying attention to your needs. If they're really looking out for your interests. You ask the question, do they even care about me at all? This can be a frustration. Leaders focused on all kinds of things. They're running around. They're not really listening to you or asking you how you're doing and checking on you. And we're told here to be casting all our anxieties on Him because He cares for us. When we're in that vulnerable spot of followership, we, we cast our anxiety, our worries onto God because He does care for us. More than any leader does. He's paying attention to what's going on. You, you might feel un, underappreciated. This may be a frustration for you under leadership. Humble yourself before God. And trust Him to exalt you at the proper time. This, this is true here in church life and family life and work life. Humble yourself before God. Trust Him. Cast your anxieties on Him. And let Him handle things. You know... Often as a follower, you end up in a spot where you're not quite sure what your role is. What, what am I supposed to do? You know, the black hole of ambiguity is really unmotivating. That is really hard. So if you're experiencing that kind of frustration, ask your leader in a supportive way to spell it out for you. And communicate. That helps. That brings clarity. Clarity brings direction. The best kind of church communities don't exist without leaders and followers who humble themselves. When we decide to sacrifice for others by leading or following, we do so in faith knowing that God is paying attention and He will give us grace if we humble ourselves. There's grace. And the idea of grace there is this, this strengthening motivating power to do what we need to do in the way we need to do it. And He'll give it to us. We trust God. Leaders and followers go back to God for the help they need to do what He wants them to do. Imagine what kind of community we can become here at Church in the Valley as we lead and follow well. To experience the cohesion and cooperation that God wants us to have. 
to accomplish His purpose for us. To do that, we have to deal with the frustrations that come along, and and they're there. As I wrap up this morning, I, I want to encourage you to think through your next step related to our own church community. Or maybe God's brought some mind about something to mind about another arena as well. But you could identify here's here are a couple of next, next steps that I'm suggesting. One of them is to identify where my frustration is. Is it leading? Maybe I'm leading in a way that I'm not quite sure what's going on with the followers. I need to take some some steps to do what would help. Uh, or maybe it's following. I'm frustrated with some of the folks I'm following. Identify where your frustration is and then the next thing, deal with my frustration by. What aspect of leading and following that I've walked through stood out to you? Is there something God said to you? As I walk through both the leader's role assignment and the follower's way of following to honor God. Were you challenged in a specific way? If so, just write that out. Write out what you intend to do. There's, there's a spot to let us know about your next steps on the connection card. There's also a place on the bottom of the listening guide where you can choose to uh, mark that as well or write that out for you to keep. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the truth in your word that guides us, that directs us, that really helps us to become who you've designed us to be. I thank you, God, for the help that you give when we turn to you, when we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God and turn to you and trust you, cast our anxieties on you, God. You work to bring to bring honor. You, you bring help. You bring strength. You give the grace we need to move forward. And I thank you for that, God. Help us to take the steps this morning that you've laid on our heart to take. In the name of Jesus Christ, I ask this. Amen.